The West Wing premiered on September 22nd, 1999 on NBC. Let's put 42 minutes on the clock. Pilot study, Chris and Grimes. They're talking all of your favorite shows. But only the pilot episode that means the first show. In case you didn't know. Well, you never know what show they're gonna talk about. But they're only gonna talk about the first one. And that's the premise behind Pilot Study. Hello and welcome to Pilot Study episode number 26. Today, we're talking the West Wing. And today, I'm joined first off by my usual co-host. He swapped beepers with a hooker. It's Grimes! (laughs) (laughs) Yes, sir. What's up, man? Oh, nothing too much. But also joining us is a very, very special guest. I believe it's the special, the second guest we've ever had on this program. He second. runs the Native Sound, the always reliable New York City-based record label. It's Julio Anta. Julio, welcome, my friend. Hey, thank you. I'm excited now, to be here. Now, I believe it was during the first season, you already wanted to do the West Wing yeah. uh, for a little while here. And mm-hmm. I, d- I decided that now with the RNC coming up, I thought this would be a good time to talk about something political. Um, so let's do let's do a quick synopsis before we go any further here. So this is the IMDb synopsis of the episode. It says, The West Wing staffers are introduced as each learns via phone or pager that the president was in a cycling accident. Josh, and that's he's played by Bradley Whitford, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Faces the possible loss. I'm going to talk in a second about the names because, first off, they're all white dudes and they all have white dude names. Yep. So I'm like, <laughs> kind of confused the whole episode. <laughs> Faces the possible loss of his job after an on-air insult of a political opponent, which Toby tries to prevent by having Josh make a personal apology. Sam's firing the pre- uh, excuse me, Sam's fling the previous night with Lori, who unbeknownst to Sam a call girl, puts him in hot water, which he compounds when ineptly lecturing a class of fourth graders about the White House and then asking their teacher which child is Leo's daughter. Okay, so we'll, we'll get to all those little details in a second, but Julio, tell me about your history with the West Wing. Obviously, yeah. this is a show that you have seen every episode of, you're passionate mm-hmm. about. What is it about the West Wing that, uh, that, that you really love? Yeah, so uh, the, I would say that The West Wing is my favorite show. Uh, not to say that it's the best show I've ever seen. Um, you know, shows like The Sopranos and The Wire, I consider to be the best shows that I've ever seen. Uh, but The West Wing is definitely the show that's, you know, I, it's brought me the most joy. It's the show that I've enjoyed watching more than any other show. Mm-hmm. Um, I've probably watched it probably gone through all seven seasons five times at this point oh my lord um (laughs) it's one of those shows where (laughs) where you know i'll finish the last episode and i'll start the first episode it sounds kind of like uh it sounds kind of like my version of mad men like i I, I would put mad men atop like the best technically objective shows i've ever watched in my life Mm -hmm. but i think what i really love about that show is just the comfort level i have with the characters yeah they're able to mine comedy out of the kind of the ordinary because Mm -hmm. i i am so comfortable with their tics grimes was this the first time you had watched the west wing no, it was actually my mom's favorite show. Um, oh. I in, I inherited all every season on DVD. Oh, Whoa! Nice. So I I, th- um, I believe one time I came over to your house and you were like 
cleaning out and you had all these dvds and i think i might have t- taken a couple seasons of the west wing from you that's fine dude honestly so, it, they're in I my possession no, now that's good and i'm honored and like <laughs> i have no connection to like i always thought it was just an okay like show for my mom i never got into it during its original time but i mean it's mm-hmm. cool i like it so let's start out with some of the main characters here um i wanted to talk about rob Lowe first off so I was reading this oral history, and I think it was through Hollywood Reporter about the West Wing. And Julio, if you haven't read this, it's very, very good. Um, yeah. But, okay, so in this piece, they talk about casting Rob Lowe, and one of the hang-ups that Aaron Sorkin had, who was the creator of the show, of course, mm-hmm. and American President and Social Network writer and all these uh, movies that he's written on. But anyways, he talks about casting Rob Lowe, and he says... He didn't want to cast him because he didn't want a big star to overshadow everybody else because it's an ensemble piece. And I, I thought, what stage of his career is Rob Lowe at at that point? So I looked it up. This is 99, the show premieres in. Um, the second Austin Powers movie hits that year. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he, he is in the movie Contact, which I guess Contact was a hit for its time, a science fiction hit. But other than that, I mean, it was basically like TV movies. Like Rob Lowe was kind of in a slump at this point. Was do you guys think he was still considered like a star to, to like actually worry about? Well, when I was, uh, you know, I've read all sorts of interviews with the cast, yeah. and uh, um, in one of the interviews I was reading, uh, and it, w- it was actually uh, there's a podcast called The West Wing Weekly, right? Um, I've seen that that was recently started up, and in every interview that they do with the cast almost all of them mention how they were starstruck by working with Rob Lowe huh. on their first day on set. Uh, so, you know, I, I think you're right when you list out the movies that he was in and most of it being TV movies and how that could seem like a slump. But, you know, people were, were still starstruck to work with okay, him. Okay, so, so let's switch gears then. What was Rob Lowe in that impacted us so much? I mean, okay, The Outsiders, would that be number one? That would be number one, I think. And I think, too, it didn't impact us. It impacted the people that were our age then. You know what I mean? So we don't have the connection to Rob Lowe, where he did become, like, almost a parody of himself there for a few years. But not, I mean, he's always good in whatever he does. It's just not always at the level that he could probably do. You know what I mean? I mean, he's always smart about his, um, well, at least now, he's smart about how people like see him like even like in Wayne's world he's kind of playing a parody of himself like this right this jockey type of guy like I think like okay so outsiders he's in St. Elmo's fire right that was maybe mm-hmm. even bigger than the outsiders okay so so we have that we have Tommy boy which was kind of like a, a comeback a little bit for him we have Wayne's world so again I mean I guess I'm just not seeing it but maybe he was our Ryan Gosling maybe he was their Ryan Gosling <laughs> He's just so fun to look at. You know, like, people just like looking at him, I think. I mean, it's Rob. He looks the same now as he did probably, you know, in the 80s. It would be like if Ryan Gosling was cast on the newsroom. Like every, yeah, everybody, right, would be, right. everybody would be starstruck. So um, we have Rob Lowe. We have Allison Janney. We have Bradley Whitford. Um, so in, in, terms of, in terms of how the characters are presented in this episode, Julio, who are you, if you're just going by the pilot, because we try to yeah. go strictly by the pilot, Okay. who's interesting you the most? Who do you think they do the greatest job of um, character building in this first episode? Obviously, Whitford gets hmm. a lot of screen time, Yeah. but I get, I'd probably lean Janny personally, but who, who do you say is the best built character in 50 minutes? 
Yeah, you know, I, I definitely like the way that they introduced them. Watch, like I said, I've watched this show so many times. We're rewatching it this time. I saw, I watched it yesterday. Uh, I'm, you know, I was surprised by how representative they are of the characters that they become mm. in the way that they're introduced. You know, uh, Alice and Janney's character is definitely, there's a comedic element to her oftentimes. Um, and the first thing we see of her is falling on a treadmill, <laughs> uh, right. which is definitely a lot bigger than the comedy that you'll see I was going to uh, ask that throughout so. the show. Okay. Yeah, no, there's there's not much physical comedy at all on the show. Um but but I would agree with you. I would say uh Bradley Whitford's character Josh uh you know, he definitely see his strong opinions from the start of it. Uh the way he kind of shoots himself in the foot knowing that he's going to have to walk back this apology or walk it back and apologize. Um you know, I think Toby's character is a little more understated in in the pilot compared to the rest of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I would agree. I would say that Bradley Whitford's character and Josh is definitely the most fully formed. Um, you know, I was going to ask about the comedy because we we have both the treadmill thing, which I th- mm-hmm. I found very odd and very much like like a network note. It's like slapstick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah, th- throw a little physical humor in there. Jim Carrey's huge right now. Like, <laughs> right. Can you have somebody like scoot through a door entry every few minutes? <laughs> it was that, and it was the the music it was like very distracting at times, mm-hmm. and I assume different than what it ends up being because like right when they enter the office in the first like after that opening scene, they, they when Leo they, walks in, right, right, and they do the kind of that first walk and talk of many. Yes, um, the music is very like workplace comedy, I guess. And there's one more moment where, like, the music is like kind of like a little goofy. I would assume that is something also that's like a pilot thing and doesn't really continue. Yeah, I didn't. I definitely didn't catch it uh, when I was watching uh, the pilot this time. But yeah, most of the music on the show is very much like the like the title music. You know, it's mm. orchestral. It's uh, it, uh, yeah. I don't remember any instances. I noticed like, like when when the church people were walking in to um, start their argument, the music reminded me of Home Alone. That like I, when, I wrote that exact movie down. Like when Kevin <laughs> was walking in the hotel. If you really wrote that down, dude, because I, I purposely didn't take notes for this because we write the exact same shit. No, I'm completely serious. It's this, when he's in is, the hotel. This is my line. It's like Home Alone style music in their first office shot. Oh my god. <laughs> well, yeah, dude. I mean, they, then obviously we're we're soulmates on another level but um yeah it was just this triumphant music that kind of took me out of the seriousness i guess of the show Mm -hmm. now also is the intro usually longer julio because this is the intro that i had on netflix i believe was Mm -hmm. like it was four seconds I, i i went back and looked it was four seconds long Sure. Yeah, when you I, I don't know how it was uh, when it was aired for that pilot episode, but yeah, there's there's definitely you know there's a whole title scene hmm. uh, with every episode. Usually after the you know there's usually a cold open and then uh, there's a whole title scene that shows off all the characters. So we get Bradley Whitford, um, who of course is Josh, and who is this opinionated person who went on television to kind of tell off a mm-hmm. member of the Christian wing there. And we also, so, you know, we have that, which is still very, I mean, the president still basically has to say that they believe in God every time they run, even if they don't. And another thing yeah. that struck me about this show really being able to air today in terms of the issues it tackles are refugees and immigration yeah. and gun control. It's mm-hmm. all the big issues of this election are present in this pilot. And I assume yeah, are. Are, are continually present. 
So yeah. the only the only thing that really felt dated was the pornography, and I mean, yeah. It, <laughs> yeah. that's it. That's really it. Yeah. And, and the yeah. president shoots it down like it is dated. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, you know, it's it's interesting because watching this show, knowing that it aired in 1999, yeah, um, and seeing these same issues still being a topic of conversation today, you know, it's a little disheartening in a sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but to the show's benefit, it still keeps it relevant. Yeah, it's very disheartening. <laughs> we're, yeah, st- we're still having is. the same fucking fights <laughs> every single election cycle. Uh, yep. And of course, this was even before 9-11. And then, and of course, gun mm-hmm. control, I would assume, became an even bigger issue. We can all assume that. So yeah. um, the first question I wanted to ask, just a general question. They have a great diner scene. I can always appreciate a really mm-hmm. good diner scene in this episode. And I believe it's Josh and what's the, what's the girl's name? Mandy. Mandy, right. Mandy, who is working with a future, is it a future presidential candidate, possibly future enemy? Uh, so my, my under, because that, that storyline doesn't last too long. Good, uh, because she not, was the worst. Well, well, a quick, quick note on her. She is my least favorite character. And I think across the board, everyone pretty much hates her. Uh, she did. She didn't make it to the second season. Oh, uh, the guy's um, name was Al Caldwell. That was, I yeah. believe, like a, oh, no, no. a future Al, nemesis. Well, Al Caldwell was uh, was the leader of the oh within the religious yes, right. He yes. was the older gentleman. She was boning um, Lloyd. Lloyd Russell. Lloyd yeah. Russell. Yeah, that's who it was. A very presidential name as well. So a, a great diner scene. What's your guy's diner order? You're going to a diner <laughs> right now. What are you getting, Grimes? Yeah. Go first. Every time breakfast. Well, of course. I mean, I need some specifics, though, dog. Okay, pancakes, <laughs> meat, chocolate milk. Whoa, chocolate milk. <laughs> I go hard That's on that bold. shit. It's two ninety nine for like four ounces, but I still get it. That's bold. I, I don't. I'm not usually a chocolate milk at a restaurant type of guy. Well, you home alone in more ways than one for you. You're living that life, <laughs> dude. You've seen me eat that uh, diner in Edinburgh's breakfast. It's just peanut butter cake. Yeah, that's true. Okay, so Julio, what's your mm-hmm. diner order? <laughs> you know, those who know me will laugh when I say this, uh, but probably chicken fingers and fries. Nice. <laughs> that was my number two pick. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, uh, and maybe huh. some orange juice with it too. All right. I, I think I'm going to go like uh, like a ham and cheese omelet with some uh, either hash browns or breakfast potatoes, whatever looks better. Because, you know, you got to scope out everybody's plate as you're walking by. And, of course, you got to go some orange juice. I'm not a little kid. I don't drink chocolate milk anymore. <laughs> Sorry, dude. I mean, I am who I am. Uh, so, Grimes, uh, this being your one of your first times watching this and probably your first time watching the pilot and, like, studying it, who are right. who are some of your characters that kind of stood out? They can be front and center. They can be background. Who are people that you were interested in uh, kind of going forward? And, and why were you interested in them? I was definitely interested in, you know, Sam and Josh and how their relationship plays out at work and then their personal lives. I like how you have like the handsome guy and then the troubled guy. That seems like a good dynamic. Hmm. Uh, I like the way they introduce the president um, mm-hmm. because I I know those triumphant speeches happen like pretty regularly, and I I would <laughs> assume people like really looked forward to that shit because you know now he, he does an awesome job of it. So I was swept up in it. The inspirational speeches, Julio. Do they get to the point of like Jeff on Community? 
or like <laughs> people are like have you ever seen community no i, I don't i don't know the reference they um, he's kind of like the leader of the group so to kind of like um poke fun at that style of um delivery okay. and kind of like end of episode delivery mm-hmm. they'll like they'll kind of spoof that a, a lot in that show and okay. it's definitely a show you should watch but it does did that ever get tiresome like okay here comes martin sheen he's given one or does or do they give uh, him a little something more no, no, I've I've never felt that way because okay, you know you don't good. you don't get these from Martin Sheen's character every episode right. uh, from from President Bartlett. You don't get that every episode. Um, you will get uh, very triumphant speeches like that uh, from different characters probably once an episode. Okay, um, but, but generally, but you know, it it's yeah, yeah, mm. and it's it's usually pretty called for in the in in the scenes, you in- know. I, th- I think withholding the president is so key in this episode mm-hmm. and it's such a smart move by Sorkin because if you bring the ep- if you bring the president in in the first five minutes, all attention every time he's on camera, even in the background, is going to be on him. You're going to be yeah. waiting for him to say something, waiting for him to have the final say, to take it out of the scene. But instead, mm-hmm. by holding him for 40 minutes, you allow those those side characters to establish themselves fully and to actually develop one or two character traits before like, okay, here he is. He's coming. <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah, I think you're right. It, I think it was a great move. Um, and it kind of points to just how great of a writer Aaron Sorkin is. Um, and really this is one of maybe a handful of episodes where president Bartlett is, is not center stage on the episode. Mm. Um, most episodes, he is a huge part of it, but it is an ensemble cast, so it does focus on all the other characters. Um, what I did find really interesting, uh, and I've noticed this over time, is that uh, that first scene, or the first few minutes where they're referring to him as POTUS, uh, that wouldn't work today. And almost, be, you know, some people would argue that it's because of the West Wing that those terms are so widely known now. Uh, POTUS, FLOTUS, SCOTUS mm-hmm. yeah. um, were popularized by the show. Um, because at the time in 1999, you can go five minutes saying POTUS and no one will know what that means until Rob Lowe's character, Sam, reveals president of the United States. Right. So that that first little gag there is kind of useless in like a Veep style world where we've mm-hmm. had the yeah. West Wing. We've had mm-hmm. I mean, we really I guess I guess network wise. Uh, what, what's that show? Designated Survivor, the one with Kiefer that's coming out. That's going to be a political show, and he's the president mm. and all that. So we'll have something on network TV. But for the last few years, we haven't had like a West Wing network TV show, right? No, we I mean not. we've we've had shows like Scandal that you know ha- that yeah, feature yeah. the president and revolve around you know Washington D.C. Um, but we definitely haven't had well, we ne- House of Cards, but that's not not not, not network either. Yeah, we haven't had a network show that's, you know, just a network drama revolving around the White House, I don't think. Uh, Brain Dead's a good political drama that's on right now, and I was surprised when I found out it was on CBS. I I texted Grimes, I said, I finally like a CBS show. It's this show called Brain Dead, and it's uh, got Mary Elizabeth Winstead in it, who's like in Scott Pilgrim, and um, I'm trying to think what else she's in. Uh, 10 Cloverfield Lane she was just in, but she's really good in it. It's like a funny kind of spoof of... um, it's weird. Just watch it. <laughs> huh. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't even heard of it. Um, okay, so a, a few lines I really liked. Same suit mm-hmm. as you as you wore yesterday. I, I believe they said yeah. that. I believe Josh and Sam both said that to each other, which I, I thought was really good. Yeah. Um, let's see. Oh, you know, you know what I really 
I really enjoyed something out of the oral history that I wanted to share with you guys. And as you can see, we kind of go all over the place, Julio. So jump in, whatever. But um, there was something in the oral history that made me laugh. It it was Sorkin pitching this show to the execs. And we can kind of tie this into like the show actually being based in reality. But he said, one of the execs suggested that it might be better if Bradley Whitford's character, Josh Lyman, went out and saved them himself. That being the... um, Uh, I've heard about this. Yeah, Yeah. the refugees. (laughs) Um, He said... Uh, he, he gave an awkward pause before he said, you mean actually swim? He said, no, that would be ridiculous. I mean, he rents a boat, a motorboat, a skiff, but that, boat's, but that boat's too small to get all the refugees on board. And he has a moment like Oscar Schindler where he's saying, I could have rented a bigger boat. I could have saved that guy over there and those kids over there. Oh my God. So like even, wow. even with this like dynamic Emmy, I think Emmy winning script of the pilot, mm-hmm. they were still trying to change like, not just like a little detail, like maybe Sam is like a girl instead. Like they're trying to change like basically the whole core of the episode and the yeah, whole the that... whole the whole vibe of it. Yeah, yeah that's not, like that's lost not the style. Yeah. <laughs> um, so let's just go into some random note territory. Um, mm-hmm. Julio, what else do you got for us on this pilot? What stuck out to you that we can talk uh, well, about? Well, you know, I, I when we think of so those who know me know I'm really into politics, um, and one of the things that stuck out to me is that uh, almost so this show aired in 1999, the pilot, right? Um, mm-hmm. I believe it was in the fall, and that was the tail end of uh, President Clinton's presidency. Um, we would obviously have President Bush, um, and almost because of that uh, is probably why this show became as popular as it is. It was during those years that this, you know, it started winning Emmys and it had its biggest ratings. Um, and I think it's because, it, you know, there are a lot of callbacks or, you know, similarities to President Clinton with President Bartlett. Um, obviously, they're both Democrats. Um, but there's also the whole, um, and I think, I think it might have been referred to in the pilot, um, but the idea that the president has low poll numbers and that he's viewed as an elitist to the everyday American. Um, and I just, I, I found that interesting when you think about when it was airing and how the majority of the show was during the Bush years. So do you believe the, because this president's a Democrat, correct? Mm-hmm. So do you believe that the, um, the turmoil of the Bush years led to us seeking a liberalist kind of agenda on this network show? Do you think that helped? Yeah, I think so. And, you know, a lot of the, he's also a very, a very moderate liberal um, throughout the show, you know, in this first episode, uh, you hear Leo talking to Al Caldwell, uh, one of the leaders of the Christian right, um, and telling him that he doesn't, that the president, as he knows, the president doesn't believe in abortion. He doesn't think it's right, but he also doesn't believe that the government has any right to control that. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and I, I think that at the time, that was a very, that was a very similar view that a lot of people had at the time. Um, you know, we don't think it's right, but we don't think that the government should control it. Obviously, you know, that opinion has, like many opinions, have shifted more to the left. Um, but I, I feel like a lot of a lot of Americans are probably able to relate with that. Well, and there's a line in the show where it says this president is a I believe they're talking to Caldwell or one of his representatives. And he says this mm-hmm. president is a deeply religious man. Like they, yeah. they have to make sure to mention that. And it made me think that, yes, they they have to at least pose as a deeply, deeply religious man if they want to win some of those kind of battleground type of states. Um, 
So that that was also another interesting aspect of the religious yeah. thing to me. I, I would say that as the show unfolds, uh, you do find out that that it's it's he's not posing as it either. Oh, okay. Um, he he really is, and you'll hear him refer to scripture a lot. Um, you know, he'll in one episode he'll seek the counsel of the Pope. He'll be on the phone with the Pope on one episode, um, where he'll ask him about uh, for advice on commuting a uh, death sentence of uh, of, of uh, I think it was like a child uh, rapist serial killer or something um and uh and th yeah there's a lot of moments like that um there's another episode in the first season where he gives this great uh speech to uh this woman who you know she's a conservative uh radio host and she talks about you know how people who are gay are going to go to hell and he brings up scripture and just tears her apart using scripture um, so I don't, you know, I don't think it's something that he's posing as because his character definitely does have those, those really deeply held, he's a Catholic, uh, religious beliefs. Now, Julio, I want you to quiz us for a second. Sure. Mm -hmm. I, I believe that this episode, while containing many good character <laughs> moments, it's either missing enough name repetition or enough title mm -hmm. repetition to really identify who's who. And, okay. you know, that's one of the things of doing a pilot is that sometimes they're going to emphasize story over introductions. And I think that's mm -hmm. generally a good thing, but I was confused as to who's who. So list off the, <laughs> list off the characters and okay. me, me and Grimes are going to try to guess what position they hold in office. Oh, oh okay. Okay. All right. So easy one. Okay. Uh, CJ Craig. CJ Craig is like publicity or something, or press. Chief of staff. Chief of, no, she's not chief of staff. She's like press, the press secretary. Yep, press, press secretary. Okay, there we go. Mm -hmm. I got one. Leo is chief of staff. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. Leo, yeah, Leo, Leo is, is chief, chief of staff. staff. But I didn't know that for uh, until like the 30 or 40 minute mark. Like I that really, he was the chief of staff. Yeah, yeah I, I yeah, had no I can, idea. <laughs> yeah, I can see how... how how that's possible for like sure. like he led the meeting but at first i thought all these people worked in press because you had josh talking on tv you had um <coughs> cj handling the the room there and you mm -hmm. really didn't know what sam did besides give really bad tours so i thought yeah. like, i don't know maybe they just all handle press for the white house or something or like get messages out there but okay so who else do we yeah. got okay uh so uh what about toby Director of communications. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so there, there's director. another com person. There's that's my confusion. Okay, so Sam. So Sam would be next. Um, mm -hmm. Deputy director of communications. Yep. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> it's like so the same he, position. He, well, no, he's Toby's he, like he little boy. Toby's vice guy. Oh. So he's so vice Toby, Toby. So Toby reports to to the so the director of communications reports to the chief of staff. Okay. Uh, the uh, deputy communications director reports to the communications director, and generally the the two of them will be writing speeches together. Uh, um, fun and fact, then um, my position at work is deputy director of communications. Whoa! <laughs> well, no wonder, no wonder you fucking remembered it, you asshole. Um, <laughs> and then they also staff out the other parts. So you know, Sam will usually work with the staff that you never see. There's there's like two guys from their staff that you'll see. Um, but it's implied that there's a whole uh, communications department that you can see. <laughs> now, okay, so the last person would be Josh. What is Josh's, mm -hmm. what is Josh's job title? One. I don't know that one. So he's the deputy chief of, chief of staff. Oh, okay. So he's Leo's deputy. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. I'm I'm starting to get it. I, you know, if I if I go on to episode two, I'll be I'll be intelligent and informed and all that good stuff. <laughs> um, let's let's see what else we got here on some random notes. Um, Martin Sheen, great voice, very yeah. presidential. Especially he was the right age, especially for that time. Like yes. We, like I think now you'd want to cast a little younger for that position, but they were looking at like um, they were looking at Sheen and Sidney Poitier. And I believe like one other old dude. So <laughs> it was like all old dudes. Oh, another person they were looking at for um, the job of Toby, I believe, was Eugene Levy. Wow, yeah. bad mistake that would have been. Yeah, which is pretty crazy. I, I that that would make for a little bit of a different show. <laughs> I bet Eugene Levy couldn't do it because he was too busy filming American Pie. <laughs> well, it was the Richard Schiff role, whichever role that is. I think that's Toby. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. Toby. Okay. All right, uh, Grimes, what else do you got note-wise? Well, I think um, just like we were talking about earlier, this was a fantasy president for most uh, fans of this show. You wished that this is what we had instead of, <laughs> unfortunately... Uh, what somehow got reelected, and like as far as the president being elitist, I, I get so sick of this narrative. Like, you want it, it should be someone you want to have a beer with, or a regular guy. Or yeah. now we're hearing about how it should be a non-career politician. I'm like, no, it's yep. the highest political office. That should be a politician, like the best one we have. You know what yep. I mean? Like, I, I get so sick of that. Like, they should be elite. It shouldn't be a regular asshole that can hang out with me. Like. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, it's, it's a, you know, it's a conservative argument that you hear very often, you know, and that's why I think we hear it on the West Wing, because obviously the Republicans are the opposition party here. Well, Um, isn't this the same argument that Trump is using against Hillary every single day? It's that she is the same old, same old. And that, of course, crooked Hillary or whatever that means. But (laughs) Trump, Trump is posing as this everyman right now because he's everyman billionaire. Yeah, yeah. It's you know, it's definitely mind-boggling to think that you know he. And I think he said this. You know, the poorly educated love me. Yeah, no. You know, (laughs) you know, the idea that you know people who are poor and people who want to be like him feel like they can relate to him in some way. You know. It's it's mind boggling. So but... watch his TV show. That doesn't mean he has to be fucking president. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, another another line. Anyway. I, another line I really love is a good friend is getting fired because he went on TV and told the truth. I <laughs> love that line. It's so beautiful. Yeah, just, just snuck it in. Expertly done. Um, yeah, I I thought I you know I thought it was really interesting because I think he says what probably a lot of uh, political you know operatives i guess for lack of a better term uh want to say on tv to someone as you know bigoted and ridiculous as uh, as that woman was um but you really can't say because you don't want to alienate you know a huge portion of the country and to leo's point in this episode uh we need them to get our agenda done you know we need them to lobby republicans who will then cross the aisle and vote with us on important measures what did we think about the um, I'm actually from Connecticut moment? Oh, I love that moment. <laughs> yeah, that was that was like pretty perfect. Um, do we believe that's what they meant? Or do you think that um, they kind of went after him unjustly? I would assume. I, oh, yeah, that's what she meant for yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, okay. There's definitely. Cruz uh, did that. 
or somebody did that says about like a New York thing about Trump. Oh yeah, no, that that's that was Ted Cruz. Yeah, New York values. Yeah, he meant um, Jew. <laughs> yeah, he and I thought Seinfeld. I thought that was a I thought that was a great moment and that whole interaction, you know, where this guy who's supposed to be, you know, this huge uh, conservative and religious right activist doesn't even know what the first commandment is. Um, right. And how those are the first lines spoken by the president. I am the Lord, your God. Yeah. And he walks in and they pan up from the floor, like mm-hmm. very statuesque and godlike. Now, in terms of the Sorkin writing, obviously, <laughs> like the the stereotype is that you get Sorkin, you're going to get a, like a lot of walk and talks, which Entourage yeah. would eventually adapt and probably ruin. But you'd, you'd get a lot of these walk and talks. You would get a lot of you would get dialogue that only certain actors were really able to deliver. Mm-hmm. And I think like it's a Whitford. Um, Rob Lowe doesn't strike me as like a Sorkin style type of guy. Like I, like Jesse Eisenberg strikes me as like a Sorkin mm-hmm. style. Well, yeah, guy. That's, so that's the peak Sorkin right there. It, it really is. So I mean, do you guys have any um, favorite Sorkin work outside of this show? And yeah. Can we talk about kind of what makes him him, I guess? Yeah. Uh, so I love the newsroom. Um, I think that was... Uh, we got beef, bro. Really? Let's go into the cage. <laughs> no. so I, I, love, I love the first two seasons of the newsroom. I thought the third one uh, was... a li- Or no, it was, it was the second one that I had a little bit of problems with. Um, but the third one, I thought like that show could have kept going had it not been canceled. Um, but I love that. Uh, I I've in re- recently I've uh, I've come to love um, Studio sixty. Mm, um, okay. I think that's a great show. Um, Sports Night is another one that people don't really talk about too much, but it really set the stage for the West Wing. And you'll see a lot of characters uh, from Sports Night go into the West Wing once that was canceled. Now this is my beef with the newsroom. This is okay. like you, you know in you know in this episode where the music swells and he's giving like this speech about America, and it mm-hmm. kind of really rides that line between cheese and like um, cynicism, right? Mm-hmm. Kind of kind of riding that line. The newsroom is like if you made a fifty-minute version of that moment. <laughs> <laughs> and set it inside a place that I've worked and I know isn't I, I, obviously I haven't worked on like that level like a national TV show but I mm-hmm. assume it carries a lot of the same values as like a small newsroom it's like that blown up and over a whole episode I just think mm-hmm. it's like so overly written and I don't know it just bugs me maybe because I teach journalism and I don't want students to like see that and think that's journalism it's like yeah. a very TV st- TV style version of it, where like McAvoy goes on air every night and has some like big moment, like right. ti- timed out right with like twenty two minutes in the episode, like mm-hmm. that, like that kind of stuff. But I guess that's what bothers it about me. I actually think that's one of his weaker works. I think my favorite mm-hmm. of his is, um, I mean, it would, I guess it would have to be The Social Network. I think that's one of our modern classics. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. I mean, I did like Studio 60, and when I think back, I remember that and 30 Rock were coming out at the same yeah. time. Yeah. And I watched both, and I was like, uh, 30 Rock's kind of cool, but I don't think it's going to last. It's too goofy. This other one seems better. Well, like, when, so, thank when, goodness I wasn't an executive then. When, tho- when those both <laughs> came out, like, Studio 60 was slated to crush 30 Rock. Yeah, like, yeah. 30 Rock wasn't going to be around because Studio 60 was on. Sure, yeah, and I bought Matthew into that. Perry on it. 
Yeah, Matthew Perry, fresh off Friends, and Bradley right. Bradley Whitford. Yeah, and, and if uh, I remember correctly, they were both on NBC. And yes. They were both on the same, uh, they premiered on the, during the same uh, fall season, I think. Uh, yes. Yeah. So and it was almost one of like, them was going to make it. Yeah, it was almost like you had to pick, and I definitely chose wrong because now 30 <laughs> Rock is one of those shows where I just watch on a loop, like straight through. Well, wasn't the big things of, of why people believe that it failed or whatever was that they tried to actually show the sketches? Oh, they yeah, they did show the sketches on the show, yeah. And that, yeah, and they weren't good. Yeah, I think that was like one of the big reasons, or at least now in retrospect, people say that was one of the big reasons why that and show it was, failed. It was too Sorkin-y, you know what I mean? Like it was Okay, so what is Sorkin-y? That's what we're trying to explore here. That's like in the newsroom. It's it's too wordy. It, like in the social network, there aren't a ton of times where Eisenberg is just looking at the camera for four minutes inspiring the crowd. <laughs> like I, he I, wrote I, I, it. I don't think I don't think that's fair. Either. There really aren't moments like that on either the West Wing or Studio Six. Well, true. And I mean I but I think when for better or worse, Sorkin is kind of pegged with this, like, yeah, self-righteous, almost, almost condescending, mm-hmm. like messaging. And when when you agree with the message, that's awesome. Which you know, okay, cool. Yeah. But well, if, um, if you think about Studio Sixty, he starts with a two-minute monologue directly to the camera about how TV is like terrible right now. Yeah, that's true. That's <laughs> true. Like, that's you got to have pretty big balls to come out and say that. Mm-hmm. But I'm glad that Sorkin exists to say it because he. He does provide so much intelligent insight. And as an insider, whether he overwrites dialogue or not, he is a very important figure, I think, like you said, in modern I think, classic I think, making, like TV yeah, and film. And, and I think uh, with Studio 60, it was probably one of his most uh, timely and pointed uh, criticisms of what was going on. Um, because if I remember correctly, Studio 60 was probably like 2003, four-ish, yeah, somewhere yep. around there. Hmm. Um, and there was really pointed criticism of the Iraq War. Um, there was uh, them getting kicked off, the, the main characters, I think I remember, uh, the first time that they hosted or that they uh, produced that show, when they were let go, was for criticizing uh, Bush af- right after 9-11 in a very, like, Bill Maher, uh, politically incorrect kind of situation when he got booted off of network TV. Um, and it was just very, very timely and pointed. And I don't think that he's had opportunities to do that in any other show like he did with that one. You know, you know what's a really great one is uh, Jobs. Like, I loved, mm-hmm. I loved Jobs. I, I, I thought it was like completely overlooked for everything at the end of the year and one of one of his best works really and and i wasn't i'm not really an apple head either like i have apple products but i could care less about steve jobs but it was fascinating what sucks about that to me is that that kutcher disaster came out first (laughs) and then i think like the by by the time the real steve jobs movie came out people were just like all right we had the book we had this thing like he's dead I got a Samsung now. We're all moving on. <laughs> like we get it. He's a jerk. So right, uh, <laughs> but this awesome classic. Like yeah, that should have been a huge movie. So yeah, and, and I think part of what held it back too was how little Michael Fassbender looked like him, and how much Ashton mm-hmm. Kutcher did look like him in that horrible movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So Julio, break it down. What is what's Sorkin? What's his core principles? You know, we're talking about overwriting and things like that. Yeah. I, th- I think like the the overwriting thing only comes in when you have an actor who can't deliver it. 
Mm. And it feels like they it's it feels like alphabet soup when they don't have the paces and they don't they don't mm. have the right rhythms and that's kind of my opinion on the, yeah. s- the speed of his language but what else can you tell us about his work through the West Wing and kind of beyond Yeah well I th- I think his work is it's music you know his dialogue is musical it's it's you're right it, when it feels too wordy it's because the actor can't deliver the lines in the right pacing and in the right speed that it's written to be delivered in. Um, and I think some of the best people who you see on his shows are those that, you, that can do it. You know, I think people like Jeff Daniels in uh, the newsroom, I think uh, people like Brad Whitford in the West Wing, they're, you know, peak able to deliver these lines uh, the way that no one else can. And I really do view it as almost like a music, you know, there's mm-hmm. a dance to the West Wing. Um, and that's why these walk and talks work. And that's why when you watch these parodies of it, uh, it just feels so cartoonish because mm-hmm. it's not, re- that's not really how it's done, you know? Yeah. Do you have like a peak Sorkin writing moment? Do you have like mm-hmm. a, 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 like a, a segment of the West Wing or mm-hmm. a scene from his movie where you're like that, that's him? Because for me, it's that opening scene of Social Network where he, mm-hmm. he loses his girlfriend. Like that's so expertly constructed and it felt real it doesn't have to have any like overriding action in it the the yeah. words are the action I, th- I guess that's another main point to make here like the words yeah. are the activity they're not window dressing yeah the the two scenes it's interesting that you mentioned that social network one because i honestly like i can't even remember that scene off the top of my head um but i would say uh two two of them are uh the first one is the one that most, you know, you probably see posted on Facebook the most uh, is the opening scene of the newsroom. Right. Yeah. Um, when Jeff Daniels' character is uh, sitting in front of uh, an audience, like a forum at a college, he's being asked, uh, what makes America great? Or what, why, why is America the greatest country in the world? Yeah. He kind of sidesteps it a few times, you know, says, uh, I think he says, freedom and opportunity are just really generic things. And then really lays into the idea that America is the greatest country in the world, saying, you know, it used to be we used to fight for things that mattered. You know, now we fight for, you know, in business interests. You know, we don't we don't care like we used to um, and just really digs into everything that's wrong about, you know, this idea that America is the greatest country in the world and that being patriotic is waving a flag. Um, and then I think the the second one is um, it's in an episode of The West Wing, maybe the third or fourth season. It was towards the end of Sorkin's run on The West Wing. Um, and it was the uh, I think the name of the episode was Two Cathedrals. And it was right at it was at a funeral for one of the one of the main characters on the show. Um, and he just uh, President Bartlett, Martin Sheen's character, just it's him talking to God, essentially. You know, he's standing in the middle of the cathedral after uh, after the funeral after the the funeral, um, and uh, he's just saying, you know, I did all these things for you, you know, I've saved all these people, I've liberated these people, and then you go and you take out my assistant in a car accident after she bought her first new car, you know, and it's like this whole this whole thing, and it's just like it gives you it, it gives you goosebumps watching it, you know, especially if you've invested you know, four, three or four seasons into this show. Um, and for me, it was also a moment that really connected with me, you know, because a lot of this show, a lot of this show speaks to my personal political beliefs. 
Um, and this one also spoke to, you know, my views on God as well. Um, are we to are we to believe I'm switching topics here? Are we to believe that Donna and Josh have like a little back and forth romantic stuff in the future? <laughs> uh, yeah, you are. Okay, I was actually cool, cool. I was actually listening to uh, and it's one of those like Ross and Rachel like super mm. long winded. <clears throat> except uh, they never get together until they do at the end. There's no like getting together and breaking up. Um, mm. But I was I was listening to an interview with uh, uh, Jenna Maloney, the the actress who plays Donna Moss, um, and how she saw that from the very first episode. She saw that you know eventually we're going to be together on this show, and I think she said something to the effect of like every scene that I did, I made sure to plant you know something that would give the viewer you know a little preview of it every single time I interacted with him. Yeah, and you can definitely you can definitely see that. And also, my my other like uh, question of the internal workings of the episode. So, mm-hmm. we're to believe that the president was going to fire Josh until he makes that speech. Uh, no, we're to we're to believe that he was going to fire him uh, until Leo stepped in. Uh, okay, uh, okay, gotcha. Because there, there's that scene with Al Caldwell where Leo says, uh, "I've been convincing the president not to fire him all day." Right. Um, and I think that I think that Leo is probably and you as you watch this show, you see just how and I think in in reality as well, just how influential the chief of staff is gotcha. um, likely the most powerful person not to be elected mm-hmm. by, you know, by voters. Um, and there's there's a really great moment in a future episode where um, the president is going to go deliver the State of the Union in the first season. Um, and you know, the, the president and the vice president both go to that. So they always leave somebody down the ladder of, um, of, uh, the ladder of like, you know, if the president dies, if the vice president then dies, if the secretary of state dies, somebody down the ladder of secession. Um, and he's gives them a little speech about, you know, as if he, something really were to happen, you know, it's like the secretary of agriculture or something. Hey, it's, um, it's the designated survivor. That, that's the keeper show. That's what it's about. Oh, you really? get down far yeah. enough, it's me. Yeah. So, so he tells him, you know, it's a really heartfelt moment. He says, do you have a best friend? Yes. Do you trust him with your life? Yes. Okay, that's your chief of staff. Mm-hmm. Um, Very and nice. it, you know, it, it, throughout this series, you see just how influential Leo is. So I do think that, you know, you're to believe that Leo convinced him otherwise. Um, and he already had his mind made up. And I think with this president, you usually, he usually has his, he usually knows what he's going to do. Um, but that changes with certain events that go on. But if you, you know, if there's a situation that happens and he's asked immediately, what are you going to do? He'll have an answer. Um, but I think in this episode is when Leo says, you know, at any given moment, I don't know what the president's going to do. Uh, we haven't really talked uh, too much about the plot, so we're going to wrap up here in a second. But the plot basically has three portions to it. We have the um, Christian storyline with Josh almost getting fired. Mm-hmm. We have the refugees off Cuba, right? Yep. Okay. Yeah. Well, they're, yeah, they're going from Cuba to Miami. Right. And we also have the president being in a biking accident and uh, yes. him walking in injured with a cane and everything. So we'll, we'll move on. I just wanted to make sure we hit all of those. So this, uh, the West Wing won nine Emmys in its first season, including outstanding drama series. And also ju- just for the pilot, if you're watching the pilot along with us, it won outstanding art direction for a single camera series, outstanding cinematography, 
Outstanding Directing, and it was also nominated for Outstanding Writing. So a lot of pilot love there, along with nine total wins. Um, it looks like Rob Lowe is one of the main, one of the only main people who does not get nominated in an acting category for <laughs> that first year, but he does get it for the second season, so they make up for that. Um, so let's play the IMDb game. Are you ready, Julio? Okay. Okay, so I'll explain the game to you. So I'm going to give you 10 total shows. I've got, I've got 10 shows listed out here. And what I'm going to ask you to do for each of these shows is you're going to try to name the highest person on the IMDb list you can. Now, if you've ever been to IMDb, it's organized by the amount of episodes somebody has been on. Like, in very rare occasions, it will be this huge star, but it's usually for TV listed by the amount of episodes somebody's been on. Hmm. You're going to get points for anybody in the top five, okay? Okay. So, like, fifth will get one point, five, or number one will get five points. Sure. Another wrinkle in the game is if if you get that top person, I'll give you another guess on the same show. So you could get 15 total points if you go 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. All right. right. Does this all make sense? It does. It does. I don't know how I'm going to fare. I don't think too well, but let's give it a shot. Well, the first one, we always do the first one, is the show we talked about. Okay. So hold on here. For the West Wing, who do you think is 1 through 5? Well, one guess. What's the highest you can go on the West Wing? Uh. Okay, so number one listed on IMDb. Yes. Uh, I, I think it's gonna be. Uh, I think it's gonna be Martin Sheen. Martin Sheen is number four. Whoa! So you get two. You get two points there. Allison Janney is number one. Wow. Um, followed okay. by John Spencer, Bradley Whitford, Martin Sheen, and Janelle Maloney. Wait. Th- so this is this is listed in the amount of episodes that they've been on yeah so they all had they all had 155 all those those top four all had 155 apparently Hmm. so i'm gonna i'm gonna be honest here okay that that doesn't sound right to me (laughs) Um, because john spencer's character can i can i give a spoiler is that all right does does he die he does die okay well it's saying 155 episodes for him 1999 to 2006 and then it's it does start to go down because janelle maloney is listed as 150. That is bizarre to me. Okay, what we'll do, we'll, okay. sp- we'll split the difference. We'll That's say, right. That's we'll, all right. we'll, we'll give you three points. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right, we'll give you three because without him, he would have been third. Okay. All right, so next up is The Walking Dead. Hmm. So who's number one on The Walking Dead? Yeah, the highest up you can list. <sighs> um, oh my God. Uh, this one is quite the gap. One person's been in every episode, I believe, or really? pretty close. Yeah. Okay, I'm because I watched the what uh, the Walking Dead, so I'm trying to think. Um, you know, maybe I know Michonne didn't come till later. Uh, I I want to say Rick, but I know that he hasn't been in every single episode either. Yeah. Well, okay, not every single episode. You're on the right track. <laughs> okay, so Rick Rick Grimes. Well, do you know the actor's name? Oh, I don't know the actor's mm. name. Me either. All right, we'll give you... Okay, so do you have any other guesses on anybody else in the top five? Um, actor, actor name. Actor name. I don't think I know anyone's name on that... Mm. Any actor's name on that show. All right, well, his name was Andrew Lincoln. Oh, okay. And uh, Daryl Dixon is Norman Reedus. All right, oh, here, I knew that. Yeah. Here we go. This is an easier one. I've got a couple easy ones coming for you. Um, friends. 
friends. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, I feel like every every character. I know there was one. I was I was really into Friends. There's one episode where Phoebe plays a very very minimal role, and it's the best episode in the series. Uh, <laughs> um, I want to say. Uh, uh, I want to say Ross's character, or Ro- Ross, uh, what's his name? David Schwimmer, probably. He is fifth. Fifth? Yeah. Is there a gap in episodes? Or? No, there isn't. They're all listed 236, all six of them. Uh, oh, he okay. is fifth, and it goes Jennifer so Aniston. Must be, okay, so it's in alphabetical order then, I guess, since they all have the same episodes. Yeah, that might be it. That might be it. Do you Do you want another try with alphabetical order? Uh, that's fair yeah i i, I didn't i didn't get i didn't give you the full rules then so give me give me another guess in alphabetical order uh i'm trying to think of the the full names for the other people now um there's matthew perry there's uh uh oh uh joey's character uh isn't his last name chandler or no no what am i saying <laughs> all right i'm no i don't know i don't remember well it's al- it's alphabetical by the act by the actor or actress's name yeah. So okay, we'll we'll give you we'll give you one point for uh, Schwimmer there. But okay. the, the top the top one was Jennifer Aniston. Yeah. Um, okay. So the X Files. X Files. Yeah, uh, yeah. Okay. So uh, Mulder and uh, what's her name? <laughs> they're, they're, I'm sure they're both in every episode. Yeah, but uh, what's what's Mulder's actor name? Oh my god. What's his real uh, name? His actor name? You mean his, his actor, name? His name. <laughs> what's what's his real name? Uh, I don't know. You know, it's funny. I was just talking to someone who's who I know who's really into the X Files, and I only watched up to like episode ten, and then I dropped off. Damn. Um, but I'm assuming they're both in every episode. Uh, no, no. I don't not. know the actor names. Okay. No? Well, um, Fox Mulder. He's played by David Duchovny. Okay. And uh, he's only he's 183, and Gillian mm-hmm. Anderson is 207 as Scully. Really? Yeah, because uh, David Duchovny leaves at one point after like bad contract negotiations or something. Interesting. That's yeah, really so, interesting. So he gets abducted, and he like dis- oh, disappears nice. off the show for a season, and Robert Patrick comes in. Nice. All right, Julio, you're not doing well. You don't know many I'm actor not. names. I didn't. I, didn't. <laughs> this one, this, I, I don't know the actor names. This is one that what you said before. Yeah, this one. This one might be tough on you then. Um, okay. Ar- Archer. Oh, I don't know. Oh, I don't know anything about Archer. <laughs> I've never seen that show, and they're all cartoons, so I don't even know who the people are. Uh, okay. To be fair, they do all kind of look like they're they're actor named people, except for Archer. Aren't there uh, animals in it too, though? No, no, um, no animals. No, no okay. talking animals anyway. We're we're changing gears here. We're gonna give you some easier ones. I hope. All right. All right. Um, Parks and Recreation. Yeah. Um, I would say. Uh, Come on, Julio. You could do this. I know. Oh my God, I'm <laughs> totally blanking on her name now. Uh, <laughs> I shouldn't be. She's uh, got Amy Poehler. Yes, five points. <laughs> Look at that. Five points. I don't know why I couldn't think of her name. And, and you get another guess because you got the top person. Okay, uh, Amy Poehler, uh, probably, um, what's his name with the mustache? You're on the right track. Jumping in here real quick, we had some technical issues in the final portion of this episode. My apologies, as there is some skipping in our vocals. We'll have that figured out for the next episode, and enjoy another round of the IMDb game. Um, I don't, <laughs> Rob Swanson's character, I don't remember his name. Or his, 
it's uh, a character. it's it's nick saying. it's nick offerman nick offerman yeah nick all offerman. right now i was <laughs> now this isn't really gonna work too well because i was <laughs> i was gonna go easy ones first and then hard ones so let's just okay we'll, we'll, we're, just we're, just just we're, hit me with it yeah we're going to the hard ones so gary this show is called gary unmarried <sighs> and you know you know what i'll even do grimes if you have yeah. the answer you can jump in and help out I, I do have the answers for that. Okay. What show, when did this show air? This show aired on 2008, 2009, and 2010. So it started in 08. Three seasons. Uh, okay. two, two seasons, three two years. Seasons. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I have no idea. I've never okay, Grimes, jump in. Jay Moore. Jay Moore, top spot, baby. <laughs> that's um, all I know, but that's five points. <laughs> you, you, know who, you know who's also in there is Keegan-Michael Key. Damn. On that show. Okay, so there's so also... I'm hoping I get lucky in one of these obscure shows or something I've actually watched and I know. Well, what about what about a show called Suburgatory? Never. I, I think it comes up on Netflix all the time, but I've never seen it. All Can't right. help you. All right, so the lead guy there is Jeremy Sisto and then Jane Levy and also Cheryl Hines jumps in there um, okay. from, from Curb Your Enthusiasm. All right. I love her. Oh, that was his wife, right? Yep, yep, that's his nice. wife. Nice. All right, so show. here we go. Wet Hot American Summer, first oh, day it? of camp. Now, I'm just going to throw it out there that all basically a lot of them were in seven or eight episodes, so you might have to think in terms of names. But there were a couple okay. that were in all of them. So I've, also a show I've never seen, but I know that Paul Rudd is on it. Boom. Uh, I, I there know you that go. Amy Poehler is on it too, right? Uh, yeah, but you got Paul Rudd right there. He, was, okay. he, is, he is third, so you get... Um, yeah, you get three I, points I think there. that's it. I don't know anyone else on that show. Michael Ian Black... Michael Ian Black is fifth, but he, he said that he didn't get the top one, so he doesn't get another guest, Grimes. Oh, you know sorry. you know the rules, buddy. I do, but <laughs> I still suck at the game. All right, and here's here's the last one. Okay. Um, Lost in Space, the old one. Nope. Mm. Nope. <laughs> I don't know. All I know is uh, Danger Will Robinson. Okay, so we'll give you one point for Danger Will Robinson. Uh, three, <laughs> four, uh, 14, 17, 18 points. All right. So, you know, out of a total of 150, not great, <laughs> but there you go. you're also the first person to play, so you're top ranked. Oh, perfect. Oh, we'll, yeah, see how, we'll see how quickly uh, we and, can change that. And who knows? Maybe I just picked, like, a really overly hard game to play. That was pretty tough, man. So, it was tough. Like, it I think tough. maybe the game is too hard, but, you know, maybe we'll, maybe we'll bring in some whiz kids in here and kind of jack those scores <laughs> up. So uh, let's wrap up the episode today. Uh, Julio, I want to thank you, of course, for coming yes, out. Yes, thank no, you. No, it's been fun. Thank you. Um, of course, we talked about the West Wing today. You can find that pilot over at Netflix. Um, let's do some plugs. Julio, why don't mm-hmm. you plug your label, any personal <clears throat> Twitters, anything like that? Uh, yeah, uh, you can find me on uh, Twitter, uh, at Julioanta. Um, same thing for Instagram. Um, the label is The Native Sound. Uh, you can go to thenativesound.com. Uh, same handle for all the socials. Um, yeah, we have a lot of releases coming up. Uh, we've had a lot of big releases from bands like Miserable, um, Koji, John Vanderslice. Uh, yeah, check out the most of the music is uh, is very dark music on the label. Um, a lot of shoegaze, a lot of dream pop. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I suggest anyone to just go to the website. Uh, mo- almost all of our releases are uploaded on YouTube just in their entirety. Um, but m- almost everything we release, we press on vinyl and tape. So, uh, if you're into that, check it out. And, uh, if you can find it, I believe there's a, one of the first 10 episodes is an interview with you. 
Yeah. I'm, I'm fairly certain of the Modern Vinyl Podcast, which is on episode mm-hmm. 128 now. So obviously you're due for a return trip at some point. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, I like to go 100 episodes in between Julio appearances. So we're, there we're, go. we're getting there. Uh, Grimes, plugs. Plugs, yes. Well, Twitter at underscore Grimes John, and that's pretty much it. But I will say thanks again to Julio. Um, and ours nice. is at Pilot Study yeah. Pod. Our, our Twitter is Pilot Study Pod, so follow us there. And you can find all our episodes over at our SoundCloud or at modern-vinyl.com, along with other shows like The Vinyl Crawl, Misaligned, and The Modern Vinyl Podcast. We thank you guys for listening, and we are going to leave you with a clip from next week's show. So if you know what show we're teasing, let us know on Twitter, and we'll talk to you guys soon. I'm sure we all know that Mr. Wells left some large shoes to fill. So big. But I think we wound up with the right person. Someone with a lot of experience. Gotta have experience, most important part. And someone who's very likable. It's essential to be likable. Indeed. That's why. Knock, knock. (laughs) Here she is. Gentlemen, I'd like you to meet Dr. And that's the premise behind Pilot Study.